Welcome to the Town Hall Academy, episode 120, and we are discussing technician pay with thoughts and ideas on how and why we need to rethink and reconsider technician compensation. Here's a taste of our discussion. And we lay it out there, and and I've had interviews where somebody goes, well, I'm not going to do all that. Well, then you're not going to get paid what you want to get paid. And that's pretty simple. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here, and so glad to welcome you to Academy Episode 120. Now, we have a topic that we have yet to openly discuss here on the Academy, and I'm so glad we've put this issue on the table as it relates to recruitment, retention, and loyalty of your top technician talent. Hey, I'm sure your customer, when faced with a big decision on a new drivetrain product, you know, they think that a new vehicle may look and smell nice, and they get so wrapped up in the emotion of a new vehicle that they forget about the seemingly endless monthly payments, higher license fees, and higher insurance premiums. Now, the better solution, remanufactured components from Jasper, means a new lease on life for your customer's trusted old friend. Go to jasperengines.com for more information. And keep in mind, Jasper brings you the Academy free to listen on demand and anywhere in the world. And remember, these long-form audio discussions really bring out the best in the aftermarket and provide you insights that you can benefit from. The key talking points, they are already written for you and can be found on this episode's show notes page at RemarkableResultsRadio.com slash A120. Now visit with Seth Thorson, shop owner at Eurotech Auto Service in New Brighton, Minnesota. Jerry Kazai is here, shop owner at the Auto Shop in Plano, Texas. Frank Scandura, shop owner at Frank's European Las Vegas, Nevada. And Matt Fonslow, shop manager and lead diagnostician at Riverside Automotive in Red Wing, Minnesota. Now, we covered a large swath of reasons to review technician pay and to create a fair and adequate compensation plan based on criteria that is a win-win-win for the tech, the owner, and the customer. You've heard of the struggles and have most likely had your own issues with losing and hiring technicians. Now, our discussion is not the scientific answer. It's not tab A into slot B. However, it goes a long way to help you make decisions to retain, create loyalty, and ward off the loss of our smart and talented technicians to other shops and other industries. Our topic today is how can we provide our technicians a $100,000 yearly pay package. And, you know, this is really meant to be an idea starter. I understand... I truly do that a living wage is dependent on cost of living, competence, capabilities of the of a profitable shop, and that includes a benefit package. So if we can think about if we can think out loud, what I want this this academy today to you know to consider is what considerations do we need to make uh, not only uh, to the industry for ourselves and in our own businesses and 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 with all the available talent that's out there and and the you know one of the reasons we talk about this is you know poaching is so real we'll lose we're losing our techs for many reasons and a bunch of them is pay frank i really want to I, I want to open this whole idea up on how we can provide our technicians a $100,000 yearly pay package by asking you, does it start with you, the shop owner? Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Because we, I think we make the mistake of asking in the interview process, what were you making before? I think I can afford that. Or, oh, good, I can give you $1 or $2 more, maybe entice you. And that's a huge problem. So it does start with us. We need to look at what are people actually worth? What team members are we looking to attract? Because, you know, if we hire an ATEC for 25 bucks an hour, you're going to get what you pay for. If I hire an ATEC for 50 bucks an hour, I have the right to a higher expectation. And if they don't meet your expectation, that's when, you know, you, you need to have a different conversation. But the truth of it is, you know, we've, we've, got, we've got our own issues with the industry. Um, you know, we don't, we don't charge enough. I, unfortunately, the majority of the shop owners out there, uh, never went to business school, right? 
they they went to uh, AC Delco training or they went to Ford training or they went to training of some vehicle. But you know we have to we have to uh, understand that what we do is a business, and you have to treat it like a business. And if you're not, uh, unfortunately, those shops are closing down quicker and quicker these days. So. I think I think the problem. I agree. It, it starts with us. You know, Frank, Jerry, you guys are coaches. Why, uh, why, why? When you start taking on a client, why are they undervaluing themselves in what they charge? Fear. They're afraid they're going to lose customers. Afraid that, well, you know, uh, nobody's going to come in. Uh, not understanding the true value of the services they offer and what they do. And I'll go even one step further because they don't understand business and they don't understand the marketing. The only way that they know how to get a new customer is to lower the price, be the cheapest price out there. And, you know, I'll tell you, the only people that, that win in the race to the bottom are bottom feeders. Yeah. And, you know, you, you cannot run a successful business, in, in my opinion. Now, this is just my opinion, right? I, I've owned this company for, for 38 years. And so my opinion is you, you cannot run a successful business. You cannot pay your employees properly. You cannot give your customers great customer service and take care of warranty issues if you're racing to the bottom. You've got to have cash flow. You have to have gross profit. You have to understand what your KPIs are. You, you have to learn business to run a business. Everybody, listen, fixing cars is the smallest part of the deal anymore. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but the reality of it is Fixing the car right the first time is minimum entry into this field today. Minimum expectation from the customer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody should be giving first time repair is right. So how do, if you want to capture customer, how do you get a bigger piece of the pie? In my opinion, you give great customer service. You take care of the customer. You, you, you do the simple things like send out monthly newsletters. You send out, you've got to maintain top of mind awareness and absolutely uh, take care of the customer and their car when they're there. Okay, I want to stop for a moment and talk just for a second about last week's Town Hall Academy. It was about employee loyalty, how to grow and, key and build employee loyalty. Uh, the big takeaway for me doesn't happen overnight. Um, right, right? Oh. guys, Seth, and you got to start somewhere. So when you look at the successful guys, well, uh, wow, how'd you how'd you get there? How did you get to do all these things right? And then you say confession, right? You say, man, I made a ton of mistakes to get here, right, Seth? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's tons of things along the way you learn and, and things you wish you did differently, and uh, it's always a growing process. And you know, getting guys on board and in your culture and and getting everybody on board to do the right things definitely makes it easier to keep employees and hire the right employees. Um, we're currently looking for a tech because we, we did lose one and, and there are not a lot out there and, and we are offering close to that number that uh, the techs want. And in the pack, in a package, right, Seth, in a, in a package. package. And why did you lose your tech? Um, unfortunately, he made a few too many mistakes and um, okay. I won't go into it, but yeah, he's okay. no longer. All right. but, but it was your choice. He fired yeah. himself. Okay. Yeah. He fired himself. Yep. Matt, you're you're a shop manager. I know recently you lost someone. How you're still reeling from the loss of that individual? Well, because he's proving to be very difficult to replace. Uh, he was an R&R guy. Very, very good at taking things apart, putting them back together the right way. He really cared about what he was doing. That's That's one of the really brutal things to replace is to find somebody that shows up and actually cares about the quality of product uh they're providing and he got sniped from a much larger company like a a big maintenance type company and he's got they started him out about 12 dollars an hour more than what we were paying and uh full benefits and they gave him a company vehicle all company tools there's really no cost to him to do that job and they start paying him the second he sits down in that pickup and heads towards the job site He's putting in some major hours right now, but it's it's brutal. What I'm hearing from everybody, and I could be wrong, is is that we're using really bad barometers. We're using really bad references, reference points. The reference points are the surrounding competition, as in other shops, and not these other entities that need the same 
uh, no, really, honestly, not the same skill set. They need less skills than yeah. what most of our people have. Good point. Our, our techs have a really vast uh, skill set. It really is. And these other entities are going to take them uh, to maximize one small portion of that skill set and compensate them much, much better than the vast, vast, vast majority of shops out there right now. I, I would edit that part out in case any techs are listening. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we don't edit anything here. Okay. I know. <laughs> the other no. thing I heard too, and it's not, I don't think it's terribly important, but what I'm hearing too is we need to rebuild or add levels to the hierarchy, right? Because a, a hierarchy is what kind of creates value. The, the difference between uh, service providers or product developers is the difference between Seth's shop and a comp- uh, shop that competes with him. The difference is what does Seth provide versus that other shop? And that starts to create a hierarchy and therefore uh, the value difference between Seth's shop and the other shop. And it's trying to get the whole entire hierarchy to start moving up as well as market to the client, this hierarchy, why it exists and why in the long run you're saving money, even though that invoice might seem higher than the other shop. I think Matt just broke the code here. Let me let me chime in. Um, you guys say, well, how do I set my labor rate? Mm, what's the guy down the street charging? How do I set what I'm paying my guys? What's the guy down the street paying? There, there's, shop, there's shops down my there's shops up and down my street that are forty dollars an hour less than me. So, in labor right. rate, yep, in labor rate. And do you have the highest payroll or the highest salary you would think per guy, uh, per tech? I would say mine's up there, yeah. I mean, Matt's been to my shop a couple times, or once or twice now, so. Yeah, it's a couple times now, yeah. Yeah, but but just being at your shop doesn't tell us what's, you know, under the covers, and that would be that you know that you have a higher-end payroll. I would argue it tells a lot, though. Yes, Arguably, even if his uh, payroll was somewhat similar, you can tell with the built-in tool cases and all the tools the shop provides that already the tech is spending less of their personal finances to buy the tools they need to do the job they were hired for. So immediately, you know, Seth's taking uh, what he does seriously. And I think it sets a tone for, and, and Carmen, you've been to my shop, it sets a tone for the investment I make customer facing. You hope I make that investment investment employee facing, right? And, um, I think it speaks a lot about what we're willing to do and the image we're trying to portray. Uh, like Seth, we're a lot more than the guys around us because that's not my competition. And I pay more than a dealer. And, you know, we'll probably get into some of the other benefits later. So it's just a matter of not being afraid. You know, recently we discovered we were spending a lot of time with older cars, 95 and older. It takes more time to look up information. Uh, the guys are younger. They're turning to me more for my memory banks, which... You know, I'm getting old. Don't count on my memory. So we've decided we're going to pay the guys $10 an hour more for working on those cars. And we're charging customers a lot more. We're charging 190 bucks an hour for working on 95 and older cars. And I swear, I thought, that's fine. Nobody will bring them in. It's not the case. People want their cars fixed. These are 24-year-old cars. So if they're willing to pay that much to get an old car fixed, what are they willing to pay to get a new car fixed the right way, the first time? Well, let's talk about that because it's that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I think, in my opinion, that we don't charge enough. We have to, as shop owners, we need to rate. It starts with us, okay? Unfortunately, we are independent shop owners. Independent is, you know, there's there's great parts to that, but darn it, the, the worst part is we are independent and, you know, I'm not doing it your way because it's my way, right? I mean, there's a lot of that mentality still out there. And unfortunately, they don't understand. Look, we've got a Tesla shop here. And uh, it's, it's about six miles from my business. They get $250 an hour to do an alignment on a Tesla. Wow. Okay, $250 an hour is their shop rate. Now, I, mean, I don't know about you, but if they're able to get it, you know, there are, there's just as much computing in a Cadillac Escalade than, than there is in the Tesla. Okay, uh, 130 some processors. Last time I checked, uh, our guys that work on these cars need to be compensated. And the, one of the big problems, in my opinion, 
is shop owners do not charge a, a sufficient labor rate to be able to properly compensate the technicians. And the technicians now are out there still doing what, I don't know, around here, we, they call it moonlighting, right? Side work. And, you know, if, if a customer can get a break job done for $60 labor, why in the world is he going to come into your shop and pay $130 labor or whatever your number is for a hang and turn? Okay. Uh, human nature is they're going to go and get a cheap deal. Well, you know, first of all, that's not my customer, but more importantly, what's the technician doing to the industry? I don't, I've never seen a dentist say, Hey, come by my house this weekend and I'll put a root canal in for you. (laughs) Right. I've never seen an attorney say, listen, if you come by my house Friday night, bring me a couple beers, I'll do your will. I, I mean, why are we allowing this to happen in our industry? I, I just don't, it's, I scratch my head every year and think, and think it's got to get better, right? Listen, and, and here's, here's what I've discovered very recently. Most technicians cannot see past their next paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. They just can't see past it. I don't understand why. And I've talked to my guys about that too. I, I, lost, I lost an ATEC not long ago. We normally run 50 to 75 hours a day overbooked every day. Beautiful. Far more work. I got I got a super rock star sales team. They can sell it all. I just don't have enough guys to get it out. We're working on that. That's my problem. I get it. But we had an unusual two weeks in February where the hours dropped down and got a little quiet. Two weeks. First two weeks of February. And one of my guys quit because his bottom line was affected. For two weeks. For two weeks. He couldn't see past his. So he ends up in a shop with no health insurance, no paid holidays, no paid vacation. Okay. Techs are like that, Frank, and I 100% agree. I've seen it a lot. One of the things we do now, um, I use a, a, a program that actually shows employees total compensation with all company benefits. As soon as they log in, that's where they onboard and they log into that monthly and it updates their total compensation package in a bar graph with compensation pay and other compensation. That's really helped show my techs what they're worth. Um, awesome. And as Matt alluded to, you know, just bringing texts into my shop and, and talking to them and saying, look, it's not just the number I'm paying you. If you're spending 20 grand or 10 grand or five grand, three grand, whatever it is less per year on tools, because I provide everything that makes a difference in most of these texts. And that's, you know, we provide the built-in boxes we have, as Matt's seen in the shop, every imaginable factory tool, including a factory lift to pull drive trains down. I mean, we have everything you could imagine a tech would want. And we show them that and we talk to them, look, you know, you may get an offer that's $2,000 more, but you're going to spend $4,000 on tools. It doesn't add up. And also with the new tax laws, we make sure we inform them that you don't get the write-off on your tools. I'm with Ron Haugen of Westside Auto Pros. Hey, Ron, why purchase a Jasper engine for your customer's car? Uh, the, the main reason we use Jasper is is they're known for quality and we're known for quality. They line up with my company and my company's commitment to our customers uh, you know, as a product. They're committed to me. Hey, Ron, are customers investing in their vehicle today? Absolutely. You, you know, we, we see the surveys from, from AAA and, and, and all the different people out there where the average age of a car on the road is 11 years old. Some are even saying 12 now. Uh, when you think about that, for every new car sold, that means there's a 22-year-old car being driven on a daily basis. To me, that's amazing. Uh, the only way we get an average age of a vehicle on the road like that is because people are reinvesting in a car. And, and I think the reason they're reinvesting in a car is, is the cost of a car. I mean, cars are thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. You know, why not drop four, five, six, eight thousand dollars into repowering the vehicle and get it back on the road? Hey, Ron, thanks for your insights on Jasper. Thanks for asking. It's called an invisible paycheck and i know that you could probably go into google and type in invisible invi- why am i having such a tough time saying that invisible invisible paycheck <laughs> and really literally you know you can list all you know if you're whatever your contribution is i mean i love the fact seth that that your software has it built in but for a, a lot of shop owners that don't have that level of sophistication uh, once a quarter you can create an invisible invisible paycheck for uh, for your each individual and let them see even your FICA contribution should be considered because that's money that you're paying to enforce social security it's it's all part of the benefits program so guys 
it's about making over. I mean, let, let's face the reality. You can't pay if you don't have, so you got to make over your company, and it's going to take some time to do it. But we've got to start now because it's only going to get worse. How many t- Ten years ago, Matt, we weren't worrying about people poaching our, our techs. And today, it's more prevalent than ever. I think there's warnings. I mean, there, there's discussions of about a, about a skill gap and all that. We've, we've had the warnings, and there was talk about it. You know, technician uh, deficiency or uh, you know lack of quality or qualified quality, I guess, too uh, technicians. But it was largely ignored because it wasn't affecting most shops, especially the small shops, maybe the mom and pop shops. Now it is, and it's hitting hard. And instead of being proactive early, now we're forced to be reactive, and that's yeah. usually a bad thing. So everybody talks about got to raise the labor rate. Uh, I'm, you said it earlier, Frank. It's fear. Can't do it. There's a lot of reasons why. Let's talk about this whole makeover thing. If we were gonna, if we were gonna work toward, you know, getting the salaries of our people up, what would we start to do first uh, from the shop owners here? G- give me what you would think would be the first three things. I think Jerry kicked it off pretty good by saying we have to learn to run our businesses like a business. It's not a hobby shop. It's not a job. It's a, it's a business. And, and uh, one of my breakthroughs a few years ago is when my coach, Jim Murphy, said, this, you have to look at your business as an entity. What does this right. entity do for you as part of your portfolio, so to speak? And then it really helped me take my emotion out of it and stop being as twisted up as I am. I'm Sicilian, so I'm usually twisted up <laughs> pretty good all the time. But it's an entity. And I need to treat it as such. I have to have that 30,000-foot view. Uh, just this morning, uh, you know, I'm realizing that um, not everybody knows who does what. So I've got one person talking to a service advisor about another service advisor didn't do something right on paperwork. Well, that wasn't the right person to go to. So you know, I have to now lay out probably a 92-page document. This person is responsible for A, B, C, and D. So we have to start with truly treating this like a business how does how do you run your business and i'll tell you what one of the most difficult transitions for a technician is to write service the second most difficult to be a business owner yep yep i i all i can do is agree the uh, the reality of it is first of all when you're talking emotions i have a little a little bar that i use and i share with people i said you know the truth the reality of it is is that you have intelligence on one side and emotions on the other and when emotions go up, where does the intelligence go, right? Mm-hmm. Intelligence always goes down. This is the teeter-totter of life. And, you know, they make books about it. They make movies about it. Uh, you've got to be able to take your emotions out of the business. As soon as you can do that, now you're talking about something special, okay? And, and I, have to, I have to say, Frank, you're spot on. You know, you have to look at your business like it's a separate entity. My business is separate from me. And my business, there are certain guidelines, there are certain things that I absolutely demand from my company. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, I run a pretty interesting shop. It's a large store. Uh, we're we're 35,000 square feet. Wow. And I took October off. My wife and I spent it in France. Uh, it was a beautiful experience. I got one email a week just asking me to transfer enough funds. Uh, here's how much payroll was. Uh, make sure the, the funds were handled. Uh, other than that, I didn't get a phone call. I didn't get an email. No, there were, I won't say there were no issues, but my team runs it enough that I don't have to be here. I, I think we have our systems fairly, fairly dialed in. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I realize that it is an ongoing uh, chore it's an ongoing task to always be tweaking your standard operating procedures. You're always tweaking your how-to-do list. Uh, Frank, in your case, I think you may want to create a very simple org chart instead of a 92-page document. I just started that this morning. I went to the Lucid Chart, which is a free program on Google, and I'm starting my org chart this morning. And I have roles and responsibilities added to it. Yes, sir. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, we uh, we have we have a great org chart for that as well, and and I would I would agree. And and to get to the numbers though, if we're going to talk about technician compensation, let you know to get to the numbers, the reality is it's it's simple math. 
what do I need to pay my top writers? What do I need to pay my service writers? And then back that in the where I need to charge. Yep. And, you know, and if I can't make that business proposition work in my area, then I need to evaluate my my procedures and if that's a value, valuable business plan. But I really need to take the numbers and put it to paper and say, this is what I need to pay people. And if I can't do that in my market, then I need to be in a different market or I need to reevaluate if I even should be in that market. Exactly. Good. And and you have to understand that what you have, you're not an auto mechanic. You're not a, a guy that fixes cars. Basically, I look at my business as I am a factory. And we have the raw materials coming in on one side, and that's broken cars, replacement parts, knowledge, and time. And on the other end of the, of the uh, at the far end of the deal, when the vehicle is done, our finished product is a happy customer. Uh, w. Edwards Deming, that's a very Deming-esque view of your shop. That's well, very and, cool. And, and if we're not if we're not operating at the efficiency, we need to find out where the bottleneck is and fix that bottleneck. We need to we need to make sure our efficiency of the factory is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And is if you can do that, I say first off, hats off to you, right? Kudos, make it happen. And uh, you know, and if not, call me. I'll help you do it. You know, I, I, I love the idea, excuse me, Matt, about the, the entity, Jerry, because that's exactly kind of how you described being in France. It was that the, you know, the entity was, was living on its own. It has to. <laughs> I know. Because at some point, listen, I, okay, so here's a little, here's a little, you know, the rest of the story, right? Us <laughs> so old guys, we know what that means. Yeah. So my, my dad opened up his business in 1946. He was the first automatic transmission shop uh, um, in the city of Detroit. Guy did an amazing business, and he ran it all out of his back pocket. He could never take a vacation. He could never leave the building, right? I mean, it was unbelievable. And I said, I will never, ever in my career run a company like that. My company will run whether I'm alive, whether I'm dead, whether I'm on vacation. Regardless, this company will survive. And this is how I've built the foundation for my store. Matt, back to you. Well, I'm just thinking like it's a very human condition to, and I'm very guilty of it, that you point the fingers. Uh, if you're a tech, you're pointing the fingers at, you know, we live in Minnesota, it's the Rust Belt, that's why this happened, or uh, shop procedure, whatever. As a manager, owner, trying to adjust labor rates, improve your means to increase compensation by a better tooling, you're pointing your finger down the street at the other shops. You know, these ball and chains are holding me down. They're anchoring me down. Um, and that's kind of suggesting that there's some sort of systemic impediment that most of us have contributed to. While that, there might be some there, there's a lot of things within your business that is not because of the shop down the street. Your office being in disarray, that isn't their fault. Your lack of shop operating procedures, that's not their fault. Your shop not looking, you know, being presentable, not having any organization, you not uh, attending training, business training, becoming a student of business, that's not the shop down the street's fault. So if you were to take those challenges on and fix that stuff in-house, and you can assign whatever percentage that is to the, you know, the total contribution to the success. That aside, you do those things. You may start to not care so much about what the other shops are doing, or at least you'd be in a much more credible position to point out this unreasonable or unfair systemic impediments holding you down. But I think it's more the former than the latter. Okay, we've basically established some of the the why and the what, but I'd love to talk about some how right now. And if we were going to get creative, and guys, you're established, you could look back and say, we evolved into where we are. And I want to share that we, we don't expect that anyone who's listening who wants to take a lot of these ideas and start moving with it, you've got a long-term plan ahead of you. But some of the ideas on a compensation plan, agree with me or not, let's open some discussions. ASE certifications, efficiency, comebacks, 
tool allowance, training hours per year in, in their training resume, career steps from repair diagnostics, master specialist, um, salaries plus incentives, flat rates out. Let's talk about some of the elements we could build into a great compensation package. For us, it, I mean, when, when a tech says, I want to make this, we have a pretty defined plan that says, if you want to make a hundred grand a year, this is what you need efficiency. This is how many hours of training we expect you to take everything you need to do to make that income that you want. If you hit these guidelines, you'll make that. And we lay it out there. And and I've had interviews where somebody goes, well, I'm not going to do all that. Well, then you're not going to get paid what you want to get paid. And that's pretty simple. I mean, we, you know, our apprentices, we hire apprentices. I have two of them right now and, and we're constantly hiring them. We lay out a two-year plan of what guidelines they need to hit to get the full journeyman tech and where they're going to get paid every six to eight months of the process. And we lay it out. And if they hit these goals and guidelines, they get their next raise every six months. For these young millennials, and my whole staff is under 35, my entire organization, but they need to know where they're going to get their next bump. And that keeps them around. And you can talk about, that's a whole different discussion of millennials, but I keep them around for a long time. And they stay within my organization forever. Um, but you got to give them guidelines of where they're going to get to and how they're going to get there. And your experience techs you bring in, they want the same thing. Look, if you're not going to commit to going to five weekends a year of training, you're not going to make the money you want. That's what it's going to take to keep you at the level you need. If you're not going to do these things, we can't get you there. Who benefits besides the tech? Everybody I mean, does. Everybody. The shop benefits, the customer benefits, the cars benefit, the techs. Everybody benefits by the tech. By our, the more educated your techs are, my God, man, the more efficient they are. Uh, Bill Hill from uh, from Mighty Auto in uh, Medina, Ohio. I love that guy. Yeah, it's, I know. Man, if you have, if you get the opportunity, go to his shop. He's a great dude. Yeah. Um, but he requires. I, I think his number is thirty hours or forty hours a year yeah, of training. I think it's 40. for every one of his employees. But we just stated forty starting this year. Good job. Good for yeah. you, Frank. So, Matt, a tech going to walk into your place. Would you ask that new hire that you're kind of actually looking for now, tell me about your plans over the next, uh, say, 25 years? Um, I do. Uh, I try to get a feel for if they have a, you know, short-term, very, very short-term, short-term, maybe five, 10 years, and then the long-term plan. But I think it's up to uh, businesses, uh, people that employ people to give employees the ability to make a 30-year plan. Um, I don't know that that happens very often. Uh, it's I find it odd in Frank's case that his tech was so short-sighted, but there's a lot of others where there's really no other means to think about things because there isn't enough there to start thinking 30 years from now, thinking about retirement, thinking about the big purchases down the road because um, their paychecks are maybe very erratic, you know, based solely on production, which, you know, somehow the techs get blamed and held accountable for very tightly, but there's so much more that goes into it. It's kind of lazy management. So I guess when I ask them that, it's also with the mindset here to try to do better and better about giving them a means to think 30 years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now. And to, to that point, I've told my guys for a number of years, I want to do some sort of retirement plan for you. I'm just kind of struggling to figure it all out. I've got to learn. I've got to understand before I implement it. So we just started a 401k. Now, we've talked about it, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, no big reaction. So I really didn't expect much. And you know, so a little bit of selfishness. I need something for myself outside of what I'm already doing. So we get the guy here for the meeting, and I cannot believe how excited everybody is. How excited everybody is to have this opportunity. And we're doing a 3.5% match, which uh, it, it's just, it blew my mind, right? And I wished I did it five years ago. Uh, and these are the little things that we have to do. I've noticed also that my responsibility to speak into the lives of the people around me is to help them to understand that your paycheck is part of the equation. What you do with it is the bigger part. Most of the time when they're running up to you saying, I'm not making enough money, what they're really saying is I'm spending too much and I, and I don't realize it and I need help. And I teach my guys, written budget is your only way to knowing where your money's going before it's gone. 
Uh, and I'm working with one of my guys right now. And, and I said, here's an assignment for you. I gave it, printed a budget for him, a quick budget. I said, I want you and your wife to go over this. I, I want to know, you know, why do you say you, you need another job? Why do you say you need to do this other work outside of working here? I don't understand. You're making pretty good money. And he came back Monday and said, yeah, we've, we've got a few gaps in our budget. So it's, it's not just giving them more money. It's speaking into their lives and helping them be better people. Yeah. I like well, that. My fear with that is that the, the management owner needs to be very, very honest with themselves, which sucks. Usually when you're trying to be honest with yourself, you don't like the answers. You don't like the results. But I think that uh, hinges a lot on the management being very honest about what is the cost of living within a reasonable driving distance of the place of business. That, you know, I, I think my boss has been guilty of this where he compares his income and his cost of living to mine. Well, he bought his house 30 years ago, much different than mine. Now, what he used to consider a fairly good compensation amount of compensation, when reality hits, things had to change, right? So I agree with you 100% that. You know, you can keep throwing money at them, and if they spend unwisely, it really doesn't matter how much money you give them. But the basis of that is, per the cost of living in that area, they are making a good living. It, but it doesn't matter how good a living you're earning if you if you don't keep what you're earning and you're not wise with it. It doesn't matter how much you make; it's how much you keep of what you make. And honest to God, no one is teaching money these days. There, there are no money courses out there. I'll give you a, a simple thing. If you want to learn something, uh, the, the scouts many years ago, I was an assistant scoutmaster and uh, there, it was a, uh, a merit badge that you could actually get. And I taught it because they, they used to make fun of me. They said, yeah, if you're one of Kazaya's kids, you're not going to get a merit badge. You're going to get a PhD in money. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay with that because every one of my kids did really well. And, and I take my employees that, and I, I bring them aside. I say, okay, let's talk about a budget. I mean, you're spot on for doing that because no one understands money today. And I think, I think somebody has to get back into teaching it. Uh, most of them don't even know how to, how to balance a check, checkbook, for God's sake. True. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, and some, some of it too. I mean, obviously the 401k is big. We do 70% medical and dental, 4% 401k. Um, but a lot of what Frank's talking about and what Jerry even mentioned instead of quarterly reviews, we've gone to a coaching process mm -hmm. and that coaching process, they call it catalytic coaching. It's not used in automotive as much as used in every other field in, in the country, but we use that process to get to know what the employee has. And as long as the employee's goals align with the company goals, and if their complaint is I'm not making enough money, then we really look at it and say, okay, does it make sense to pay for a Dave Ramsey class? Because if that helps the employee reach his goals, that aligns with the company goals. So we'll pay for that class. It, it's a tricky slope to educate them on their own finances as a owner or manager. Yeah. To me, that's yeah. crossing some boundaries and a tricky slope. But I will mean, happily pay. I will happily pay for them to take a financial class because that aligns with company goals and makes them a more productive, happy employee. Yeah. But even a Dave Ramsey class, he's going to tell you it's it's relative. I know, but if you're talking about you just don't make enough money to live in that area, then you have to find more money. Get a second job is one of them, right? Pizza delivery to yep. supplement. Now, a lot of that's to try to get out of debt. But the reality is, is if you're not making enough to live, something has to go up. And we're already talking about, for the most part in this industry, we're undercompensating our talent. So uh, I tell you what I just got out of this. And, you know, of course, I'm taking notes, right? Part of my 40 hours of technician and employee training will now include X number of hours of financial training. Why not? It's just right. be part of, you know, teaching financial responsibility. And I think once people learn that as a core value, it makes them more responsible, not just in their own finances, but in the way they treat other people's property as well. I'm going to do a tunnel academy on supporting our employees, our people, with a financial uh, management, if you will, Dave Ramsey-esque. And uh, I, I don't have that scheduled, I don't believe, but uh, now I will move it up the chart now that I, I, I'm hearing from you all. And Frank, are you, did you say you're teaching Dave Ramsey stuff or are you passing his book out? What are you doing? We do. I do uh, facilitate about one class a year 
for Dave Ramsey. We just finished one uh, in April. Okay. And uh, our biggest class yet, 35 people at our church, changes lives. You well, know? well, maybe and, you need to be on that show. Let's continue to, to think about, you know, personal time off. I think we talked about health care, um, paid ASE tests, paid training. That's all part of the compensation package. That's how you literally, I, I, I'll bet you that the average shop who doesn't really stop to think about it, he's got a heck of a pay package for some of their people, even though, you know, uh, they may look at the paycheck and say it's, it's not enough. But the investment that you're making in them, that's what this whole show is about. And so the invisible paycheck, Seth, do you, do you cover everything in that? Yeah, we do. And our, and our, in our software that we use when they, so all our employees are onboarded through our custom software. And when they type in all their choices, it shows them their total compensation plan with benefits, with 401k, with um, medical dental. And so it'll show them their total compensation package. And that's a huge eye opener. Um, and it's been big. But Seth, are you going to that software and saying, listen, I, I pay for the ASE test. I paid for this training. Are you adding that to it? Yes. Yeah. And on the back end. Um, okay. Well, my, my district manager does. I don't. I oh, delegate no. that stuff out. But yes, somebody does. <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. Wow. Good stuff. Thank you. Hey, can I hit on something Matt kind of said a couple times, and I don't know that we really addressed it, right? So when I was back east in New York before I, I came out here, I lived an hour outside of New York City. And home ownership was absolutely out of the question for anybody that lived there. And, and I think that, and, and I've seen some of those trends now in Las Vegas where, you know, the median price of a home might be two or two twenty five, but a decent house is three fifty, three seventy five. Um, I think we need to create an environment. If the people who live here can afford our services, then the people who work here should be able to afford to live here. So we really have to be sensitive to that. And, and it's, listen, that's the price for admission. What are you going to do? You know, I, I started wrenching on cars at five bucks an hour plus 10% on whatever parts I sold. Granted, that was when we used to start cars like this, but. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, Frank. I think that was, Matt, your driving idea was if you sat down and found out from your people. So what are your plans? Hey, we want to buy a house. Okay, great. Um, you know, based on what they're earning, because, you know, you've been around the horn a little bit, what they could afford. And you have to stop to the plate, just like you said, Frank, and give the kind of wage so that the person could actually live in the community you'd love them to live in, buy the food uh, based on what the, the cost of living is there. And we're really putting over Dave Ramsey, but he would be one to say that your house payment should be a, no more than, what, 25% of your uh, wages? Yep. Maybe that's combined or whatever, but if it's a single person... 25% of take home, right, Frank? Yes, sir. Yep. Take home. Yeah, definitely, definitely got to look at, you definitely got to look at what you have to pay in your area. I mean, I got a 21 year old advisor just bought his first house. I mean, my guys are buying houses early Good. I mean, we pay, we pay them more than enough to, to live in our community and have a 15 or 20 minute commute to the office. You know, yeah. that's awesome. Seth, how are you sitting down and coming to terms with the fact that you have a great pay program and you're getting value for it. You would never let someone not earn their keep. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to have to earn their keep. There's guidelines and structure and, and, and we do performance-based pay, but we do have a base salary for technicians and advisors. Um, so they, the techs, even if there's no work, they're getting paid. That's huge to techs. Um, but yes, you've got to get value for what you're spending but you also have to pay people appropriately and they stay for longer because of that. The other thing is the latest number I saw, and I can't quote you where I saw it because I'm drawing a blank on where it was, but it's about 33% of the person's salary that you're replacing that it costs to retrain somebody in any organization. So reality is you lose a tech making 80 grand a year. It's going to cost you 33% more to replace that technician. It's a huge number. I recently heard that it's an entire year's salary to replace someone. And, you know, you start adding the lost work and the production and all that stuff together. And if you really wanted to get deep in a yellow pad, uh, you could probably figure that out. I think there were some really cool takeaways here. Frank, you took a lot of notes, too. I always love it when you when you come on and and every time uh, you know and I think the audience needs to understand this I get e I get emails from our guests and say man I learned just as much as I was given so uh, so we we always we always appreciate that it's our hundred and twentieth week of doing this 
It's great. So let's go around the room. Let's uh, let, let's nail something here, guys. Anything you haven't told us or anything? Uh, here's the point. How can we provide our technicians a $100,000 yearly package? Speak to the uh, shop owner that feels that it's too big of an uphill battle and they actually can't do it. Jerry, let me start with you. Thank you, Carm. So I, I would go back to Frank and, and, and just verify this. When you raised your labor rate on 24-year-old cars to $190 an hour, uh, who was the one who complained the most? Probably the service advisor, right? Nobody did. And I could see a little bit of fear in one of their eyes, but the guys were like, everybody was in agreement. This is hard. It's costing us a lot of time and effort. We're not profitable on these cars is basically what it came down to. And honestly... I, my guys are really good at not freaking out at a price increase. Excellent. Very good. I would like that to be the takeaway for every listener on the show. Raise your labor rates today. Start today. Don't wait to the first of the month. Start today. The only one who's going to flinch is the owner or the guy that's, that's uh, changing it in the computer. All right. First of all, you have to be able to know what your cost is. You have to be able to run a profitable business. You, you, we've said this on this show repeatedly. You have to know what your cost is and what your techs want to make, and you've got to be able to charge accordingly. If not, you really need to reevaluate what you're doing in the, in the area you're at. You need to evaluate whether or not your business is strong enough, right? But either way, if you're not joining some group, if you're not getting some coaching, if you're not, you know, if you're staying independent, Unfortunately, you're, you're hurting the rest of the industry. And so I suggest that everybody find some group, some organization, and I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke for anybody, right? But get in there, get involved, learn what's going on in the rest of the world, right? The average shop does $350,000 a year. The owner nets nineteen dollars or $20,000. I wouldn't answer the phones for twenty grand a year. How do you pay your people? There's a, no, are you kidding me? I, I paid I pay five times that in property taxes every year. So, uh, you know, no, 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 not not interested. Raise your prices, make a decent living, pay your people a decent living, and and charge for what you're worth. Thank you, preacher Jerry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> Matthew. Initially, stop worrying about what everyone else is doing. Take care of what you can at home or in your business. Fix what needs to be fixed, what's in your control first. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing is that um, I, I kind of have a fear that the people that need to be watching this episode and just Remarkable Results podcast in general aren't. That even if there's a thousand people watching on us, us on Facebook right now, that's like 20 shops per state. It's nothing. And the right. ones that need to be watching aren't. And I'm, I suspect most of the people watching right now that own shops have the $100,000 or you know, 100K a year tech already. How do we expand this? How does this get to where it needs to go and make use of that um, saying or whatever, that the, a rising tide lifts all boats? We, we got to get the rest of them involved to you know, raise this up. Otherwise, you know, it's a lot of us struggling to try to raise that up and force everyone else to follow us because hopefully their techs jump ship, but they really aren't. When the techs are jumping ship, they're jumping off the freaking auto repair boat and doing something else entirely. Thank you, Matt. So this was all of the secret, really high level secret sauce here today, guys, that we never want to share with anyone. <clears throat> you know, I've done over 500 interviews and the successful guys, you know, Jerry, and I'm going to land right in your lap. They've all had coaches because they finally said enough of this. I've got to become more successful. You know, I've got to earn more money my, myself. You know, one of the the coaches, uh, I, I love some of their opening statements, as I said. So, so when you sit down with a new client, what do you say? You got any plans to send your kids to college? Boom. It hits him upside the head and says, yeah, of course. Well, how are you going to do it making that kind of money? And, and, and ultimately, when that starts to happen and people make those changes and they realize that having a coach is really an important part of their world, 
they make these changes. So we're so Matt, to your point, the people that are out there is the choir. We're preaching to the choir. So all I want to say to the choir, I don't care if you're listening uh, five weeks from today on a podcast. If you're in the if it, you're in the islands on vacation, mm. and that does happen, I get I get emails about that. Okay, I'm on the beach listening to some shows. Great. The fact of the matter is you need to share that with some friends of yours because we all, there's so much business out there and there's so many people, to your point, Matt, that need to hear this. And and the, again, the, the whole networking thing. The podcast has always been a private fly on the wall network for so many people. All they really need to do is to do something about it. Seth, your last word. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll share the one thing I didn't share yet, and that's get out and see some other shops. Um I've been fortunate. I travel over the country since I do training and I've popped in on Frank on announce once or twice. And he's been gracious enough to show me around and, and going to see other shops opens your eyes to what they're doing and how they're doing it. Oh, yeah. um, and you will see amazing things. Just get out there and see some other shops. Mostly shop owners will show you around and you'll see some shops that are doing some great things. I just had a shop owner stop by the other day. Um, you know, anybody's welcome at my shop my two shops anytime just give me a call so i know you're coming even five or ten minutes before so i can meet you at one of the two locations but anybody anytime is always welcome i'm happy to show you around and, and show you what we're doing thank you seth appreciate you being here frank what stops shop owners from moving forward normally is fear yep. f-e-a-r false evidence appearing real and the best way to deal with that fear is usually just walk right up to it and walk right through it. And when you realize that once you've done it, it wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. So don't be afraid to make changes. You know, if you, if you raise your price and something happens and it goes wrong, turn it back, right? You can always go backwards. But it, it's not, And it's not just about raising your price. Don't just raise your labor. Raise your value. Give the motorist a reason to deal with your company at any price. And that's my philosophy, right? And, and, you know, we lost a job for $400. The lady swore up and down and she can get an alternator replaced on her car for $400 cheaper at the dealer. And I wasn't about to, to uh, compromise. And I don't know what happened down there, but they brought another car in two weeks later and spent $2,700. So apparently whatever their perceived value was at the dealer didn't exactly pan out. So don't just it's not about raising your labor. It's about understanding your value and get, we've got to get paid for what we're worth guys. We're doing it. What we're doing in this industry is nobody can do it, right? We're a small group of this, of the economy that drives literally people around. We, we need to be paid for what we're worth. Thanks Frank. Well, uh, good, good, great points. Thank you guys for being here, Seth. Thorson, Eurotech, Auto Service, LMV Bavarian, BMW, Tech Support Company, New Brighton, Minnesota, Jerry Kazaya, the Auto Shop, Plano, Texas, Frank Scandura from Frank's European in Las Vegas, Nevada, Matt Fonslow, Shop Manager, Lead Diagnostician, Riverside Automotive, Red Wing, Minnesota. Thank you, guys. I appreciate this. You know, there is no simple answer, but I think we hit the theme hard. How can we provide our technicians a 100 thousand dollar a year pay package thanks for bringing it home thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast until next time 